Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 177. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Morgan Jaffe. And today we're going to be responding to a relatively popular article published in the September 2017 issue of The Atlantic entitled, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? by Jean M. Twenge. And to begin, obviously there's substance to this article, but Morgan, I was particularly drawn to the word choice Twenge made in that title. It's in the past tense, and it also doesn't specify which generation. And I find both of those choices to be interesting, to say the least. Destroyed I find particularly captivating because we're still using smartphones, and though I haven't found statistics, I would imagine their popularity is stable, if not increasing, as society moves forward, and their utility for many of us is crucial to our lives. I know many people who couldn't navigate, get to their job, or communicate effectively without their smartphones, which is not to say that I'm immune from the ubiquity. And so I think the past tense doesn't quite fit, especially because a generation is a malleable organism, if you will. It's many cells being individual people who grow and change over time. If a generation was something static and inanimate like a table, which can't repair or think about itself, then sure, destroyed would make sense, But people change, people grow, and I think our relationships to smartphones can fall in a similar category where, as we are made more aware of their effect on us, we can think more critically about screen time, a term Twenge uses a lot in this article. And of course, generation being the other component of this question that really struck me, which generation is she talking about? She mentions millennials but specifies at points throughout the article that she's talking about iGen, who were young or adolescents in 2007 when the iPhone came out. It's crucial to note, for listeners who may not know, that the iPhone was not the first smartphone, but the first device of its kind that popularized the phenomenon and of course made smartphones what they are today by heavily influencing the market. But I'm aware that my reaction to the title may have been an overly complicated and atypical one. I don't think I would call your reaction to the title overcomplicated, and I definitely wouldn't call it atypical. Because it's one of the first things you see. My gut reaction to the title, I think the first thing I kind of wanted to do was roll my eyes a little. I feel like there are a lot of articles that come out talking about how smartphones and technology and all of these advancements that we've had, that they are ruining a generation. That millennials spend too much time on their phones or too much time on their computers or too much time doing this or not enough time doing that. So my first reaction is, I don't know, maybe smartphones have destroyed a generation, but our generation wasn't the ones creating those smartphones to begin with. And even if smartphones have destroyed a generation, maybe it's because we were never given the proper education or space to learn what we quote unquote should be doing with our phones or should not be doing with our phones. The title also has this subheader sort saying, more comfortable online than partying, post-millennials are safer physically than adolescents have ever been, but they're on the brink of a mental health crisis. What does that mean? What does post-millennial mean? What does it look like to be safer physically and not safer mentally? And then this whole idea of a mental health crisis, I feel like our society and culture is just starting to talk about mental health. And I can't tell if it's that we're talking about mental health more, and that's why it seems like there's a crisis. But that doesn't necessarily need to mean that this hasn't already been going on, perhaps that we just haven't been talking about it. 
There are a lot of different directions and ways we can have this conversation, and I'm excited to have it with you. The feeling is mutual, and as with any topic like this, I would remind the audience it's not the last time we're going to be discussing smartphones or similar technological or other societal phenomena. And I too am really intrigued by these ideas of safety or a mental health crisis. I'm already pretty critical of the mental health of our society as a whole. I think there's so many things we don't talk about. And I've often referred to sexuality as a crucial example in my mind that many of us experience, but so few of us discuss openly or feel we are allowed to discuss openly. But should listeners feel that's my only example, I also think, on a related level, we don't really engage in much platonic touch. In my observation, you and I were talking before this episode about the ways in which we do or do not feel we are allowed to make that sort of contact. And I think we live in a society where, on so many levels, we feel disconnected from one another. And I think touch might illustrate that, but I also suspect there are other pillars or markers of our disconnection. For me, the frequency with which people avoid silences and turn to their electronic devices so they feel occupied by some activity, the lack of eye contact that a lot of us have, or even the surprise with which we meet courtesy or kind behavior, as though that's some anomaly in our world. I'm not trying to paint a doom and gloom picture, but when I hear mental health crisis, I think we already live in a disconnected society. It can certainly get worse, but I think there is a great deal we refuse to or feel uncomfortable acknowledging as a collective, which is not to say that I have the solution or have particular ideas about how to go about addressing it, though I wish we would. And turning to the concept of physical safety, obviously there are dangers that lurk in our society people we can't trust, malicious behavior that we should avoid. But I'm often reminded of older members of our society talking about their days as children and how much activity they would enjoy outside. And while they might lament the amount of time we spend inside or with electronic devices such as the smartphone, many of these older individuals are parents or grandparents. And in those relationships with elder family members, many of them, understandably protective, have seen news reports about abductions or the lack of safety in neighborhoods. And I think public trust in people we don't know, stranger danger, as a commonly used phrase, highlights the duality of the phenomenon. You can criticize us for spending a lot of time indoors, but you're wary about our safety when outdoors. And I'm not denying that there are dangers in the world, but I have often been a proponent of taking risks. I think it's how we grow as people. And obviously there are examples where you can point out the hardships that result from risks taken, but I think a lot of Twenge's article points out that this generation is incredibly safe in a perception rather than in reality. And there's that quotation I often go back to that ships are safest in the harbor, but that's not what ships were made for. And similarly, I feel like teenagers might be safest at home, but a great deal of teen experience, arguably anyone's experience, is what you do beyond your home, the people you meet, the worlds you explore, and the type of interactions you have when unsupervised, which I can understand is anxiety-inducing for those of us who are protective and loving of people around us, but I do think there are crucial moments that teenagers and others who use their smartphones heavily might be deprived of, as Twenge mentions in the article. 
There are so many ways I could go with this, but the main direction that I'm being pulled right now is the idea of, do you feel more or less independent with your phone? Because I think a lot of what you were just talking about is independence that teens can or should or might have. This article talked a lot about how teens aren't dating as much as they used to or aren't having sex as much as they used to or aren't drinking as much as they used to. And I don't know if that can necessarily be linked with phone usage and the fact that, well, they're not going out more and they're on their phones and that's why they're not doing these things. But maybe this is just pointing to how I'm more of a millennial than I realized or intended. I don't think phones make me feel more connected with others, though. I never liked talking on the phone. And I feel like a lot of teens like to say they don't like talking on the phone. They go on Snapchat or Instagram or not Facebook, which I learned pretty recently. That's an quote unquote like older person thing, which I thought was odd. But I also dislike some social media options like Snapchat. It doesn't make me feel like I'm more connected to others. What makes me feel more connected to others is having conversations in person with them. And if I have to use my phone somehow to do that, my next option is FaceTime. I don't think my phone makes me feel more or less independent. I think it's a great tool, but I don't think that's what allowed me independence. I feel like what allowed me independence was being able to go drive somewhere because of where I grew up. But that's just my experience. You could also be talking with a teen who maybe they don't feel like they fit in at their high school or get along with others. And then there's this whole world online for them where, yes, they might be spending tons of time online, but that could be more fulfilling for them because they might find someone online that they have more in common with that they have more interests that they share with that person. And you could think to yourself, well, you're spending a lot of your time on your phone or on your computer or on your tablet or whatever device it is, but it's because they're being more social than they otherwise would be. The article talks a lot about playing sports or going to the roller rink or going to these spaces where maybe that's not an activity that interests you or that you feel confident in or that you're good at, but maybe you're a teen who likes to spend time online because that's where you can find other people who also like the music that you listen to or watch some of the same shows that you listen to or share what's called these affinity spaces with you. And that's where you might have nothing else in common, your race, your gender, your religion, your socioeconomic class, your background, whatever it may be, but you have these shared interests. And so I think that this article is ignoring a lot that the power the internet has to bring people together that have a lot in common to have those social interactions who might not otherwise be able to meet. And I think that's the kind of independence that you can get through your phone that I really appreciate. So while the article says all screen activities are linked to less happiness and all non-screen activities are linked to more happiness, I think it depends from person to person on what they're doing when they're looking at those screens. I don't know if it's necessarily the effect of the activity itself or the effect of the screen itself. Because there are so many studies that we hear about where screen time and the more time you see screens later at night will affect your sleeping hours, for example. But that doesn't mean the actual activity of perhaps spending time online with someone who might not go to the same school with you or live in the same city or state or even country as you. I'm very intrigued by this idea of all screen activities are linked to less happiness and all non-screen activities are linked to more happiness because I think it really depends on how you're defining and what the activity is. 
And I really think the term screen time is interesting because it's intermingled with how many of us spend time in person with others. Just the other day, I was walking with a friend and we passed by a pair that appeared to be mother and daughter, both of whom were on their smartphones. And I remarked that I was somewhat frustrated by it because these two people were in the same space together, but using Twenge's term, were both spending screen time in that moment. And I think there is a lot of overlap across the borders that Twenge defines. For example, she mentions that today's teens may go to fewer parties and spend less time together in person, but when they do congregate, they document their hangouts relentlessly on Snapchat, Instagram, and Facebook. And I would almost add, not only relentlessly, but religiously. I feel like there are many callbacks made to a single party or an event whose primary activities seem to include documenting the event itself, which to me feels somewhat alien in the same way that you might grow suspicious of a friend who took one weekend trip last year and for the rest of the year wouldn't stop telling stories about that one weekend. I feel like there is something to be said for pursuing new experiences and not dwelling too long in the digital evidence of what we have previously enjoyed, which is not to say in the extreme sense that we shouldn't capture memories when we feel compelled to do so. But I do think there is an excessive trend there that I'm glad Twenge brings up. It's also worth noting, and I'm glad Twenge brings this up as we had mentioned parents and their influence earlier in this discussion, that, quote, in an information economy that rewards higher education more than early work history, parents may be inclined to encourage their kids to stay home and study rather than to get a part-time job. Teens, in turn, seem to be content with this homebody arrangement, not because they're so studious, but because their social life is lived on their phone. They don't need to leave home to spend time with their friends. And what often vexes me, as it might you and other millennials, is that older generations speak in such broad terms without acknowledging that millennials don't live in a vacuum, nor do any generations, because we all intermingle and in some cases attend the same events and enjoy the same activities. And to act as though the elder generation, parents, even employers, have no influence on our relationship to technology is to me ridiculous. You had brought up prior to recording that many millennials are expected to be tech-savvy, especially savvy with social media, which many companies care about as a skill set. And so I would say to those employers, you can't have it both ways. If you want us to be employees with those skill sets, then understand that our relationship to technology may appear more thoroughly ingrained than you might otherwise expect of older colleagues. And it's important to consider the work-life balance in the world, which I think for many of us involves cross-pollination. Twenge doesn't bring this up because she's talking about teens, but for many of us in our 20s, you can work from home, you can freelance and use your technology to work when you aren't in a traditional working environment, which I think is really interesting. And one interesting phenomenon that Twenge brings up, which I've personally experienced and especially have observed in peers of mine, is this exacerbated concern with being left out. And I think many of us in our generation feel this. Perhaps because we are given so many visual and other stimuli to remind us that other people, our age, are spending time together, or at least they appear to be. 
And while I don't know that our generation has been more socially successful or connected than other generations, I do think we are more socially aware in every sense of that term. And while I think that's helped us to empathize with marginalized groups and to appreciate stories of history that have previously been untold or misinterpreted, in the present tense, I don't know that we are socially aware in one-on-one situations. Twenge says, quote, In the next decade, we may see more adults who know just the right emoji for a situation, but not the right facial expression. And that really resonated with me as someone who does enjoy getting coffee with someone, having a one-on-one conversation. And I've observed moments where eye contact felt appropriate, but my conversational partner was looking down or away. And that seems like a common phenomenon, at least in my life. And I do wonder if we are more facially comfortable in a digital sense, and less so in a personal sense. I think that has ramifications, and rather concerning ones for a species that is fundamentally social, like human beings. I'm really glad that you brought up digital evidence and FOMO, and this idea of missing out, this fear of missing out. It goes back to that tree falls in a forest philosophy. If a tree fell in a forest and no one was around to hear it, did it really fall? In the same vein, if I went out to dinner with my friends and I didn't take a picture of some delicious looking food, did I really eat it? And the answer is obviously yes, but where's the documentation? And I want to make it clear that I am definitely one of those people who posts on social media and who documents and has this digital evidence myself. And so that does beg the question, am I doing it for myself or am I doing it for other people? And the answer in truth is probably a little bit of both. On one hand, and you brought this up, which I really appreciated, it's a way to document what was going on and have a memory and a point in time that I want to be able to look back on. But in other ways, there are definitely things I take pictures of and share online where it's because I think it's funny and I think others will also enjoy a picture or the phrasing or whatever it is that I think is funny. It typically is a pun if I'm being honest. But Twenge talks about this FOMO, this fear of missing out and how, for example, quote, Girls use social media more often, giving them additional opportunities to feel excluded and lonely when they see their friends or classmates getting together without them. And my gut reaction to that, I feel like when I was in 7th or 8th grade, that happened without social media. There was always that fear of missing out, and I feel like that's just being a teenager. It might be that phones escalated that even more because you can really craft a story. You can also really fake a story that might not actually be going on. But I think regardless, that's adolescence. You're insecure. You're worried what other people are doing, what other people are thinking. Were people invited to a party that maybe you weren't invited to or maybe that you couldn't go to for some reason? Social media and our phones have made it so it feels like we're always busy. We're always on the go. We're always doing something. Maybe we're at a coffee shop and we take a picture of that because I have my computer with me and I'm here to get work done. Well, in reality, we take that one picture and then we go on social media for a while and just look at what other people are doing. I think that it's really easy to make our lives look simple and fun and carefree with social media, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going on. So yeah, this idea of digital evidence, it's going to create that fear of missing out mentality into an even bigger part of our lives. But I feel like fear of missing out has always been a thing and will always be a thing. It's not the fault of a phone. And on precisely that point about what has always existed and what will continue to exist into the future, 
You used the word escalated, which reminds me of a reaction I had throughout the article. And of course, you cannot escalate something which did not previously exist. You cannot multiply zero because it is a non-existent quantity. And similarly, we talk a lot about addiction or use terms of addiction when we speak about smartphones or the technological phenomena that they represent. But I think it's worth considering that smartphones only amplify natural tendencies. They aren't necessarily destroying us, but helping us to destroy ourselves. I would offer the comparison that if you gave a saint a bomb, they wouldn't use it because that's not naturally who they are or what their philosophy guides them to do. But if you gave a dog a bone, that's something they will naturally interact with, something most dogs enjoy. And so when you give a dog a whole skeleton or a carcass of an animal they might enjoy devouring, you are enabling behaviors which might quickly become excessive. And I bring up dogs because unlike people, some dogs don't have a sense of being full in a dietary sense and will literally eat themselves to death. And I worry that people are similar with regard to technology like smartphones. Of course, they are a marketable product. And so in many ways, the seller wants the consumer to have a very thorough relationship with the smartphone because that provides an economic incentive. And so in many ways, the concerning thing to me is that smartphones remain popular and smartphone providers want them to be increasingly popular to maintain that level of demand. And so I would say to anyone listening who is understandably concerned by terms like destroyed, that the real solution, if there is one to be proposed, is not limiting screen time or getting rid of smartphones, but addressing the human needs within each of us that lead us to be attached to or interested in smartphones. I think many of us, myself included, use smartphones to listen to podcasts because they present wonderful storytelling, rich drama, ideas, and thought-provoking scenarios or musings that we might not have otherwise encountered. But if all of us had mentors or friends who were excellent communicators and could bring us similar entertainment or education, I don't know if the demand would be as high for podcasts. And similarly, we might not all feel as compelled to text or use Snapchat as frequently if we saw our friends more regularly or had intimate, in an emotional sense, connections with the people around us. You bring up an interesting point about how in so many social situations, we're constantly on our phones. But I think that happens even when we can have and do have a deeper connection to someone. I'll admit that sometimes in social situations when I feel like I don't know what to do or what to say next, sometimes it's easier to just pull up my phone and pretend or even actually be on social media. But also sometimes in social situations, it's really nice to be able to pull up my phone if a friend and I are talking about an event that we want to go to in the future and we can't remember the time or the specific day. Or even before we started recording this, I had made a reference to a music video and I played that for you. And so I think there are still ways to use technology and to use our phones and to use social media to connect with others, even if we're in the same physical location. I think the main thing is there's all this technology and so many people, especially from older generations, expect us to already know how to use the technology in terms of the actual usage of how to do it, how to post and things like that, but also how to think critically about it. But I don't think we really have that education. And you were talking a little bit about a mentor. 
I think you were talking about the mentor in a different sense in terms of if we had these conversations in real life or this guidance in real life, then we wouldn't need to use our phones as much. But I also think it'd be really beneficial and helpful to have a mentor to guide us or teach us or educate us on how to think critically about technology in the ways that older generations want us to or expect us to. I feel like we have a lot of expectations, but we're not really told what they are and how we should follow through with them. And instead, we're constantly connected. I can check my email at any time or get a text at any time or get a phone call at any time. And people assume I'm always gonna have my phone on me and that it's always going to be on. Right now we're recording, so it's off. And I'm sure there are people who might be trying to reach me and say, but you have your phone on you all the time. How did you miss that? And that goes hand in hand with what you were talking about a little bit earlier about addiction and our addiction to technology. And I guess my biggest question is then, what do people want? Do they want me to be constantly connected and constantly have a way to reach me? Or do they want me to put my phone down and actually interact with the others around me? It feels sometimes like a losing battle. And like no matter what I do, either I'm not connected enough or I'm way too connected. To me, that rock in a hard place dichotomy offers the wisdom that if we want other people to be more personally engaged with us in one-on-one or group interactions that occur in person, digitally, we should be cautious of trying to drag people out of personal interactions that they might be involved with. So if we do text or call someone to be respectful of the fact that they might respond hours later when they have a moment to do so, And while I share a lot of Twinge's concern for the younger generation, folks who are using their smartphones, I also think for many of us, our relationships to technology are unhealthy, and our relationships to one another, at least in my observation, don't always appear to be as thoroughly developed as they could be. But that is, of course, one person's perspective. Before we close this episode, what would you like the audience to consider after listening to this discussion? What I would love to hear from a listener is how do you typically interact with people and what is your preferred way to interact with people? I really appreciate that distinction. And I know we're very fortunate to have listeners of all ages. So I would ask how each of you relates to this topic, especially if you were recently a teenager. And if you're a parent right now, does this topic stoke any fears for you or remind you of conversations you've had with parents in your community? We'd love to know. I'd also be really curious to hear, particularly from older listeners, if there were similar technologies or phenomena that you recall being as disruptive in your era as the smartphone appears to be in the 21st century. And lastly, I'd be really interested to know how each of you observe those around you and their relationships to technology, particularly the smartphone, and if you find that you feel disconnected from people when you spend time with them in person. One thought I had that I didn't mention about this article is that Twenge includes the smartphone in the title, but actually doesn't talk a lot about the smartphone and in many ways uses it as an all-encompassing term to refer to social media, digital technology, and any electronic device that people tend to use individually, which I think is a common way that we often refer to, quote, the smartphone. 
And similarly, though we didn't bring it up in our discussion, Twenge makes use of a lot of statistics, of course, encompassing large groups of people for the data that she is analyzing, and in the article, only refers to one teenager given the alias Athena, but very rarely brings up anecdotes regarding that individual, which I think almost ironically plays into the idea that many of us interact more with quantities, with likes or comment numbers, rather than on individual levels with particular people. Which is not to say that Twenge is guilty of her own concerns, but that some of the phenomena which might vex her are actually more societal than generational. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and most of us are using smartphones at this point, so we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us via Twitter or Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show as well as supporting us on Patreon, where you can enjoy perks like bonus episodes in exchange for your support. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And I'm Morgan Jaffe. See you next time.